Who are you? I am Boba Fett. I'm Steve Lascazzo, and this is The Way. Welcome to our weekly recap and discussion of The Book of Boba Fett, streaming now on Disney+. We are past the halfway mark for Season 1, because four episodes are now available and just three remain. New episodes stream weekly on Wednesdays until all seven chapters are available. Episodes have both chapter numbers and names. The Gathering Storm is the name given to Chapter 4. What does that mean? Well, it could be a nod to one of the books of Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time book series, which is being made into a TV series on Amazon's Prime streaming service. More likely, it would be a reference to the Winston Churchill biopic based on the autobiographies he wrote about himself during the time between the First and Second World Wars. Most likely? It's just a phrase that describes what's going on in the plot at this point, and it seemed appropriate. The description on the show's Disney Plus page reads, Boba Fett partners with Fennec Shan, so straightforward. Our listener feedback today comes from Greg in Florida. He writes, Episode 3 was terrible. Good luck with making a podcast because there's really nothing to talk about. Well, I hope you were okay with the podcast I put together, and I do appreciate the feedback. I think that's three weeks in a row, so please, listeners, keep it coming. I think it's time we talk some fat. Actually, there is one other matter, if I may. Now for a note about This Is The Way Podcast's partnership with Cufflinks.com. The Book of Boba Fett has arrived on Disney+, and Christmas has come and gone. If you missed out on a nice shiny gift, don't worry. You don't need to hire someone through the guild to bring it home. Go to Cufflinks.com and take a look at their sanctuary's many sundry offerings. New bounties pop up all the time, and now they have necklaces to add to their bracelets, cufflinks, socks, and ties. Boba Fett? He doesn't need to be your favorite. Grogu, the Mando, Vader, R2-D2, Yoda, Chewie. There are more than 3,000 licensed accessories made by this small family-run business. Cufflinks.com is the exclusive, officially licensed provider of cufflinks for dozens of top names. And not just Star Wars. Browse through a selection of Disney, Dune, Star Trek, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, DC Comics, and fans of our This Is The Way Phase 4 podcast may recall our love for the great selection of Marvel-themed items. Maybe you're looking for top fashion design names or sports-themed items from leagues like MLB, NFL, NCAA, NHL, and the NBA. The men's accessories you'll find are of the highest quality. We're talking tie bars and clips, shirt studs and stays, lapel pins, money clips, pocket squares, socks, ties, necklaces, bracelets, and cufflinks. If you decide to shop, make sure you check out their page for their current deals, and you can enter the way 15 at checkout for 15% off everything in your cart, with no minimum to buy. The Way 15 will be available throughout This Is The Way podcast's coverage of the Book of Boba Fett. Whether you want to let everyone know how much of a rebel you are, 
show off your imperial side, or rule the room with respect, Cufflinks.com has you covered. Check out Cufflinks.com today. I would not be surprised if you receive another delegation in the near future. The director of episode 4 is Kevin Tancherowen, and would you be surprised to hear that he directed several episodes of, you guessed it, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He also worked on The Flash, Supergirl, Arrow, Iron Fist. Writing credit once again goes to John Favreau. I don't know who's most responsible for these episodes, though. Is it Favreau who writes the show? Is it Rodriguez who runs the show? Or is it the director of the specific episodes? You know, the reason I ask is because Chapter 4 was better than 3 to me, but Favreau wrote both of them. It gave me more of what I wanted. Now, that doesn't mean it gave everybody what they wanted, but it gave me what more of what I wanted. That's really subjective, though. So, you know, this was a better episode than the last one. And while my opinion may be well-informed, it's not always the mainstream one. I think I feel good that a number of people agreed with my takes, but that doesn't mean that I hate the people that disagreed with me. I just have a different taste for Star Wars then. I think that's a result of having been about five years old when I saw Return of the Jedi in the movie theater. Episode 4 is listed as running 49 minutes, but I don't count the credits or previously on segments. Because I think people sometimes just want to know, you know, how much time do I need to see the action, you know, in case you're trying to fit it into your day. First action to credits is 42 minutes flat, I think. The concept art is something I do watch. It gives me a great idea of the vision for a scene, that if it's included, it's for a reason. That gives us a tip-off on certain aspects of a scene. You know, they're putting together the show. They don't have to show concept art if they don't want to. So if they're showing it, I think it's a really good indicator. For instance, Boba Fett pulled a tarp off his ship in the palace hangar in the concept art, but he didn't in the show. The hangar was envisioned much higher up on the large main building than it was on the show as well. I definitely think the hangar made more sense down in the basement level, so that's a good change. I would again mention that the mods in the mod shop outside Moss Eisley would have been much less jarring if they had looked more like they did in the concept art than they end up appearing on the screen. Less mods for me, totally, but if you're going to put them in there, it seems like the concept art much more jives with what's going on in Tatooine than this strange subculture that's going on. We never saw it before in A New Hope. Well, you should have started with that. Temuera Morrison is, of course, Boba Fett. Ming-Na Wen is Fennec Shand. Steven Thundercat Bruner is someone I did not know. And honestly, for me, the thing that stood out most was when I was researching at the bottom of his Wikipedia page, it says he is a Christian. He's a bass player, so perhaps some of that bass music that was played in the mod shop during the operation on Shand was his music? When I searched for that information, it just mentioned he was making his acting debut, so I couldn't find out if, you know, he was the one that was responsible for that. Now, if you know, please let me know. Matt Berry voices 8D8, droid torturer turned throne room servant. I don't know who voiced EV99 or the chef droid, but that would be interesting to find out if the same people voiced them um, you know, that it's, it can't be hard to, to replicate that, I guess, with 
whatever kind of technology they use to make their voices sound robotic. Carrie Jones is once again Kersantan or Santos or Santo. It wasn't the mods who nicknamed him. I thought it might have been them. It was the proprietor of the sanctuary. It was Jennifer Beals as Garza Fwip. She returns. And I really felt like her appeals to Kersantan weren't strong enough to get him to calm down. Doc Strassi was back at the end for the meeting of the families, and it was Robert Rodriguez voicing him again. Barry Lowen was once again playing Garfalaclox, the same as in episode one. New to us, though, was the Clatoonian boss, played by Phil Lamar. Last week, he voiced the Pike boss. Matthew Wood's appearance as Bib Fortuna from The Mandalorian, it was re-shown here in chapter four, and he is credited. And that's all the mentions I'm going to talk about this week. When we come back from a short break, I'll begin the recap and discussion part of the show, so don't leave yet. No disintegration. As you wish. Episode 4 begins with Boba Fett in the Bacta Tank once again. Maybe for the last time, though, and I'll explain that later. We start off with a flashback, and he's riding a Bantha. He's heading to an overlook over Jabba's Palace basement hangar. He knows his ship is there, or he believes it to be but he doesn't believe he can infiltrate the palace alone, and later we hear him explain that he's afraid he won't like the answer if he walks in and says he wants it back. That's probably just where he left it when he came to Jabba's palace and then uh, went out in the skiff or the sail barge and didn't return. For now, it's better for people to believe him dead, so he's just biding his time. And then I knew Tatooine had two sons. I think everybody is familiar with that but it either has three moons or three other planets in the system are close by because when it pans up and dissolves from day to night, there are three planetoids there. Maybe moons, maybe planets, like I said. It was a cool shot. Fett is eating at night, sharing his meal with his bantha when he sees flares off in the distance. Now, I missed the audio cue on the first watch. So I thought maybe he was seeing fireworks for the celebration of the Empire falling. But, you know, that doesn't really make much sense. No, a lot more time has passed. When you listen back to it, you hear that familiar wind instrument audio cue that tells us this is when Din Djarin and Toro Calican were advancing on Fennec Shan's position in the Mandalorian Chapter 5 episode, The Gunslinger. Maybe Boba Fett recognized the flare as one coming from a Mandalorian armory, but it was just a handheld flash charge that they were using from their speeders. I went back and checked the episode. Now here is where things get really kind of strange. So Boba Fett arrives a day later, because remember, Calican shoots her the morning after her capture, and then it's dark again when Boba Fett gets to where she lays dying. It took Din Djarin a day to get back to Mos Eisley on Dubak. He left at night to go get one, then came back in the morning after Calican had left, and then got to Tatooine at night. And that's where Calican tried to double-cross him. Shand was gutshot then for an entire day. Now we also don't hear any spurs jangling when Fett comes across her laying on the ground, and it seems like he approaches her from a different angle than the tag scene showed us at the end of The Gunslinger. So what I'm doing here is I'm just chalking this up to an inconsistent and faulty memory because it doesn't completely match up. 
We get our title slate, and then we see Fett approaching what we assume is Moss Eisley. Apparently, it's the outskirts, and there are mod bikes outside a hut and mod people. Fett must have come across this place before his time in the Sarlacc Pit, because how else would he have come across this place and known about it? It's a modification station. The modifier, as he's identified in the closed captioning, is working on a chip on a woman's back, and the scene is kind of reminiscent of a tattoo artist's parlor. Fett approaches the mod man, asks for help, but the man says, no walk-ins, appointment only. Fett tells him she's about to die and drops a bag of credits on the table, and that seems to change the man's tune. It's a very bass-heavy tune in the shop, which made me wonder after my research if this new actor, who is himself a musician, Stephen Bruner, he's a bassist, so maybe he was responsible for the music played over the montage. It is a long montage that I can only guess is so long to tell us how complicated this procedure is. It is a success, and we know that, of course. Mercifully, our time with the mods is over for now. The scene dissolves to a campfire that, to me, looks like where Boba Fett picked her up. I feel like this was a real smart play by Boba Fett, and then that means it's an awesome decision by Favreau. The familiar surrounding eases her into what she's about to find out about herself. Remember, she was passed out from this gut shot. She's not more machine than woman, but she is part machine now. He explains he saved her life, brought her to the mod parlor outside Moss Eisley. What did you do to me? It was the best I could do under the circumstances. <sighs> no Bacta tank available for her yet. Her Bacta is the black melon that Boba Fett gives her to, what he says, help her recover. And he says, well, it takes some getting used to, in time you crave it. He either recognizes her, or found some kind of identifier, because he calls her by name. She assumes there's an angle, and promises, you know, I'll double your bounty. But he says he doesn't want money. I'm not sure if this was supposed to be creepy, but I took the line reading that way, and it kind of shocked me. I took it to a dark place with that silence that came between him swigging the melon and then her asking who he is. I am Boba Fett. Left for dead on the sands of Tatooine. Like you. He's catching her up to speed. But when he tells her that Nikto Speedbikers massacred the sand people who helped him, she says it's highly unlikely. I'm guessing that her assumption is the same reason why sand people have survived. Like, they're not just pushovers. They're formidable foes out there in the wastes and the dune sea. So maybe that's why people haven't, you know, eradicated them or anything like that, because they're survivors. Boba tells her his plan. He wants Fennec to help him get back his ship. This is where Fennec suggests he just goes and asks for it. It makes sense to me that Boba feels less sure of himself without his armor at this point. You know, he may have had all that training and time with the Tuscans, but he's not a threat right now. Everyone assumes he's dead, too, so there's a benefit to things staying that way. She agrees to the plan if he considers her debt clean. If I help you, my debt is paid. If that is what you wish. 
The two head to the Overlook that he visited earlier to scout out the hangar, and we get to see some cool technology. Fennec pulls a drone off her rifle stock and then sends it into the palace through the hangar. Meanwhile, Boba shoes away his Bantha friend, telling it to make baby Banthas. Fennec says maybe you should have kept it until he was sure he got his ship back. Why? Either I get it or I die. Soon you'll be free too. Fett is all in here. He tells her he's going to get his ship back, then his armor, then kill Fortuna and take the throne because he double-crossed him. I don't think we saw that. So maybe we will hear how he got double-crossed by Fortuna because it was Jabba, I think, Sending him out to fight Luke, right? Shan says something interesting by asking, do you really want to head a Gatra? So I'm guessing that's what a crime family is called, which clears up a line from The Mandalorian, Season 2, Episode 1, Chapter 9. Gore Koresh, the Abyssin crime lord with one eye, swears by the Gatra that his information sending Jaren to Tatooine is true. My information is good, I tell you. The city of Mospelgo, I swear it by the Gatra. So he's swearing by his crime family. Boba wants to take over a Gatra because he's tired of working for what he called Skugholes to Kersantan. He learned something from the Tuscans. They made him part of their tribe. He isn't just a hunter, and he was ready to leave the life behind. Shan says they don't get to decide when they're finished. And then her drone returns. It projects the layout of the hangar surrounding architecture. There's a lot of guards, so they're going to have to sneak in by watching patrols. They head through a sewer grate that Shan breaks open, and they seem to come in through the kitchen. I think the sous chef droid is EV-99. I'm not 100% sure, but the voice is very familiar. It's stirring the pot while a multi-armed chef droid is chopping several plates of vegetables at once. And I call them sous chef and chef because that's how they show up when it appears in the closed captioning. They assume some sounds are rats, so they call for a rat catcher that ends up being a lep droid from the Clone Wars. And no, I didn't know what it was. It's the rabbit-eared looking thing, and I had to search it, you know, search for the name. I don't think this scene was a very strong one, it seems to be intended to provide some lightening of the mood because the way Boba has to chase the Lep droid around and how the chef droid wields the butcher knives, kind of like General Grievous with his lifesavers, they, they make it out of the kitchen safely, and I think we should too. Can we go now? Let's go. Shand and Fat make their way to the hangar, finally, and come across Boba's ship. Some Gamorreans come running in, and they're easily knocked out. And I wonder if these are the same ones working for him now, since they don't appear to kill them. But they're not going to have it that easy. And the alarm sounds, and I heard a gonk droid right before it, so maybe it was that gonk droid that signaled it. Guards come rushing in. Boba rushes into the fire spray cockpit to get it running, and Fennec holds off the guards. I really like her character. Have I mentioned that? They have to get the hangar open, so we get this extended scene where Fennec has to fight off the guys, and the fire spray is turning around, and it's making a lot of noise in the hangar, and then there's a difficult shot for her, but of course she's a marksman, so she 
hits this counterweight, drops it, and the door drops. They fly off over Tatooine. Next time, we stick to the plan. Next time? How's the ship? She's in good shape. Just a little rusty. I think that rusty line goes for both Boba and the ship formerly named Slave One. We're taking off a lot of boxes of scenes from the trailer. We're almost done with them. In fact, we will be by the end of the episode. Boba tells Fennec that he's going to work on maintenance himself to keep his resurrection a secret and asks where she wants to be dropped off now that her debt is paid. She asks where he's headed. And he says he's got some scores to settle. So she says she'll ride along. I'll go for the ride. And I'm wondering if all this time, the theme music or that I thought from The Mandalorian was Boba Fett's wasn't actually just his, but actually Boba and Fennec's together. Because that music kicks in when she says she's coming along and they fly off. In fact, it's playing when the Kenton Striders get wiped out by Boba's ship's guns and the rockets. Then the music kind of dies down as Boba heads back to the Great Pick of Carcoon. The sail barge wreckage is even less conspicuous after years of sandstorms. Fett somehow thinks his armor is still inside this beast, perhaps misremembering how he was found outside the pit without it. He doesn't remember the Jawas, either. Shan says it's gone, dissolved. But we find out from Fett that Beskar won't dissolve an acid. The scene is a strange one, because I don't know if Boba felt like the thing was already dead, but even if there's just a chance, why not just do what Fennec ends up doing to kill it to make sure? The Sarlacc grabs hold of the ship as he's like hovering over it, and then it pulls it down with the tentacles, and it's too close for the guns to work on it. So, Fennec unbuckles, and there's a great shot of the creature snapping at her in the bubble of the cockpit, and then she triggers the same seismic charge that we've seen Django use in Attack of the Clones, and details were paid. It's the same audio sound, the charge trickles out because, you know, we're not in space, so it just falls into the sand, down into the Sarlacc's mouth, Fire in the hole. and then they trigger the blast. And the blast is seismic, so it levels out and settles some of the sands in the blast radius, and that in turn settles the wreckage of the sail barge a little bit. The next scene is, I guess, showing us that Boba is still desperate to get back his identity tied to that armor, at least a little bit, because he climbs down with a rope into the Sarlacc. He is trusting Fennec completely here, already. Remember that. He saved her life just you know a couple days ago, maybe. He's putting back his life in her hands because he's going back into the mouth of the Sarlacc. She could just, you know, oops, rope slipped. Hey, uh, let me take this ship out of here since Boba's not going to need it anymore. You know, the acid is still present. He, it seems like he made more than one trip down there. He's covered in it. Fett remarks he can't find his armor and there's just junk down there. I kind of wish we would have seen some of that junk. Even if it wasn't a callback to Return of the Jedi, maybe there could have been some Easter eggs among the junk that he does find, but there isn't. Fett accepts 
His armor's just not down there. It served its purpose. It saved you from the acid. What you need to find is a Bacta tank. The next scene may be the most important of the episode. It's them camped out near the Sarlacc and sail barge wreckage. It's just dialogue, but it's important because it's part of the gathering storm. Shan asks, you know, do you really want to start your own house? And Fett lays out why. He's tired of working for idiots. And he says, just with a little thinking, they could have made more money than sending out a bounty hunter. I don't know if Boba knows all the workings of a crime lord business, but at least his heart seems to be in the right place. He doesn't want people to die unnecessarily. Shan points out that the hunters would be out of work, but Fett thinks they're smarter than the bosses. I'm sure he's partly right, but also not every hunter is a thinker, right? I mean, maybe the most successful ones are, but at least he's not saying he deserves it. He says it's time they took their shot. This is the invitation scene. He needs brains and muscle, and Fennec has both. It's tempting. But I'm an independent contractor. I'll do jobs for you, but I value my freedom. Fett offers something he says she will never get elsewhere. Loyalty. He's going to cut her in on the success, but also pledge his life to save hers, just as she does him. Living with the Tuscans has made you soft. No. It's made me strong. You can only get so far without a tribe. Then we get some flashes back and forth to the back to tank and then to Boba killing Fortuna and taking the throne that we saw at the end of The Mandalorian Season 2. He exits the back to tank and it's a dressing droid from the closed captioning that pronounces him completely healed. So I don't know if we're supposed to take this with a grain of salt or not. I'm wondering if this means he's completely healed right now. Or does this mean completely healed for good? Are we done with flashbacks and the back to tank here? Surely, you know, it can't hurt to use it for those aches and pains of everyday life, right? You are completely healed. What about the scars on the inside? Don't take longer. A very appropriate line, right? Because she too suffers internal damage. You know, she had a gut shot, but then she's also got some prob probable emotional scarring. And maybe Boba Fett has some internal scars if he inhaled toxic fumes from the Sarlacc. He was wearing a breather in the back to tank, so it's not like it went inside his lungs. But also, he's got emotional scars too, right? We've seen it with his flashbacks. He aptly answers that those take longer to heal. And then he gets to business. He asks, you know, is the mayor's major domo cooperating? Fennec says he's singing like a yuzum. So, from the closed captioning, I looked that up, and it looks like that's the species of male creature that sang in Jabba's palace in the special edition of Return of the Jedi. The updated song. The mayor can't be found even by the mods who are combing the streets of Mos Espa. Found anything yet? Nothing yet, sir. How about you? Not a thing, sir. What about you guys? We ain't found sh You know I'm going <laughs> to use any excuse to 
play that sound clip, you know. Boba says he should head towards town and show his face. Shan questions that, saying, you know, war could break out at any time. Fett answers, power hates a vacuum, so he suits up, heads into the sanctuary. We are treated to Kersantan, watching Trandoshans winning big at the Sabak table. Now there's a history between Wookiees and Trandoshans, and it's not good. So I mentioned either last episode or the one before how there's an episode of the Clone Wars which features Chewbacca being hunted by Trandoshans for sport. Or, you know, like a predator or most dangerous game style kind of hunt. And I think some Padawans and Ahsoka are involved as well. Wookiees and Trandoshans therefore don't get along. Kersantan gets tired of watching the reptilians so happy, so he goes over and attacks the group. He beats up on them until Garcifwip makes her presence known. He stops while she talks. She compliments his history as a fighter in the pits. The name Chrysanthemum drew crowds by the thousands. Your knuckle dusters are more feared than blasters. You've met every challenge. You've won every trophy. Is it not beneath you to dismember this unfortunate Trandoshan? Everything's going good, but then she goes into some territory I feel she might have avoided. Because she's basically telling him, hey, your glory days are over, kid. She calls him Santo when she says he's run up a bar tab, but if he lets the guy go, she'll wipe it clean. So she gives him a nickname, Santo. Not Santi, but Santo. Boba and the patrons of the sanctuary are looking on. It seems Fwip has done her job. He's going to comply. Nope, arm ripping time. And I think there was like a human scream in there, maybe left from the shooting of the scene itself. Maybe they just left that scream in there. Kersantan settles his debt by dropping credits into a Twilight servant's hands and then leaves. It was worth a shot. Hit it, Max. So it is Max Rebo. There was speculation, but I think most people just assumed it was him. And the scene with the arm rip kind of calls back to A New Hope and the cantina scene where Obi-Wan took off the arm, except this time it's a Trandoshan. Boba Fett heads out and stops Kersantan by offering him a job. While I think it's smart to collect muscle, I'm thinking of two things here. I'm thinking, I I remember Kersantan running away like a wimp last episode. And Kersantan ripping off the arms of a Trandoshan when Trandoshans are supposedly in charge of the city center, is that going to go well? You know, if he shows up in Boba Fett's coterie, how is that going to go over? Are they going to be okay with that? Is that just kind of accepted business? Once again, Boba Fett seems to be wearing his honor on his sleeve here. He's trusting people in an almost shocking fashion. The chieftain trusted him after Fett helped the child kill the sand creature. This is more like the chieftain trusting Fett after trying to escape and losing the fight to the warrior. It doesn't make much sense. Ultimately, though, it's one of those things I wished would have happened a couple of episodes back. So now that it happened, the ugliness of last episode seems to shrink in the face of my wish fulfillment. You all accrued wealth and riches under Jabba the Hutt. You can again. 
if you listen to Boba Fett. The next scene is one that we get from the trailers, The Meeting of the Families. It's a mob movie staple of a scene, or maybe it was just the Godfather that made it famous. The leaders of the three factions we heard about last episode are all there around a table situated over the Rancor pit for a meal. Shan gives a speech about how everyone should just get along, and then Boba makes a speech. He says he sits on the throne, but only because someone must, intending to allow them to rule their territories as they see fit, he asks for no tribute or quarter and will give none. The Pike Syndicate is coming, and they're absorbing Tatooine's wealth and will take over unless stopped. The storm's coming. The Trandoshans say they're making money from Spice, and the Clatoonians want to know why he deserves to be Daimyo. What's to stop them from killing him and taking over? A line we heard from the trailers. No answer is given. Just a rancor claw knocking at the floor below the table. Boba Fett redirects after he feeds the walking jump scare. You know, why talk about conflict when cooperation makes everyone rich? They want to know what Boba wants. He tells them he wants an alliance against the Pikes. The other families don't want to sacrifice for his cause, so Boba tells them, fine, I'm going to go it alone. Just promise me you won't double-cross me while I'm fighting the Pikes. The families agree. This will be acceptable. <laughs> Master Gartholokwartz finds this acceptable as well. I abide. They toast to the deal. But really? I mean, the families leave the palace and Boba and Fennec watch from the balcony. And that completes our scenes from the trailers. He doesn't trust them to do anything but work in their own self-interest, he says. But just a few scenes back, he said how much dumber the bosses are than the hunters. He's given these guys a lot of credit. Because he, he says, you know, my deal is much better. But he also says they're not foolish enough to see that the Pikes would eventually take over the whole planet. I think that's a misread line. He says they're not foolish enough to see that the Pikes would eventually take over the whole planet. Maybe instead Boba wants open war, and wants all of them to make deals against him, and be promised top place by the Pikes. And then they find out later, the Pikes, like they did to the Kinton Striders and to the Tuscans, promise everything to everyone, and then just make sure that only one party's left at the end to collect. Either way, we must prepare for war. We're back where we were at the end of last episode, though. We're preparing for war. We're at now, now. Go back to then. When? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon. <laughs> to that end, Fennec asks how their balance sheet is looking, and Boba says, he's got plenty of credits, but he needs muscle. Her answer is obvious. Credits can buy muscle. If you know where to look. But the audio played is unmistakable. It's the theme from The Mandalorian. It's either Din Djarin or the Covert of the Children of the Watch we should be expecting. And what a coup that would be to give the missing Mandalorian outcasts a new palatial home. I'm excited, are you? I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I enjoyed this episode a lot more than last week, and I definitely like where things seem to be going next week. There are only supposed to be seven episodes, so just three more to go. It looks like next week will be the Bringing the Band Together episode, 
and the week after will be sets up the comp you know sets up the conflict and then maybe there's a cliffhanger at the end of that episode and then the finale is where everything comes together and if an interview with ming na wen on radiotimes.com is to be believed which i think it is she said she hopes people will see everything in a different light after things have evolved and she says favreau and filoni know how to put the pieces together so we don't see it coming and i'm cor- I- i'm paraphrasing here of course the way she described it all coming together sounded like there was going to be either one or several aha moments that might surprise fans because she says it surprised her that's the kind of thing that makes me hopeful for the future of star wars and especially the rest of this show next time don't touch my buttons Coming soon, we have our podcast day, Star Wars podcast day episode coming out on February 7th. We do have some Book of Boba Fett episodes to come out in between then, but we're going to be taking part again this year, just like we did last year. I don't know if it's an official thing or not, but any excuse to podcast and honor Star Wars podcasts is great. I still want you to tell us who you're listening to. It doesn't have to be just us. It could be you could listen to tons of podcasts. Well, tell us which ones you like to listen to. Send us some feedback. You can listen to our latest January 2022 news update podcast for a little bit more information on that. Once again, I'd like to ask you for support for our sponsor, cufflinks.com. Head to their website and take a look around. If you find something that you like, chances are you will. Remember, we have a 15% off site-wide code, THEWAY15. You can enter that in the discount code box at checkout. That code will be available until our coverage of this first season of The Book of Boba Fett comes to a close. The Way 15 gets you 15% off everything in your cart site-wide. It's a wonderful promise to our listeners, and I'm very grateful to Cufflinks.com for that honor. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? Last week... I was left on a low note. This week, not a high, but it was a climb. If those last notes do indeed bring back some friends of ours from The Mandalorian, well, then we're in for a fun few episodes. Email us your thoughts to thisisthewaypodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at thisisthewaypod or on facebook.com at slash thisisthewaypod. The Book of Boba Fett Chapter 5 starts streaming Wednesday, January 26th, 2022. Until then, I'm your host, Steve Lascazzo, and this is the way. May the Force be with you, always. Yeah.